I'm going to ask everybody to start returning to your seats, please. I, I told Matt, I, I told Matt he should never do that song immediately before I stand up to either teach or, or pray or something like that because it just that song kind of leaves me. It just really uh, grabs me emotionally, and I know for a lot of you it kind of grabs you the same way. So yesterday, a lot of you know this, but yesterday was my birthday. Thank you, thank you, and, yeah, thank you, thanks, Rudy. <laughs> but we had uh, had a great day, had a fantastic day. It's a lot of fun. Uh, actually, I I believe that you should celebrate for a whole week. That's kind of my my feeling. Yeah, a whole month, a whole month. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds good. So we just started. So uh, and I know a lot of other uh, others of us have birthdays right around this time too. Noreen, you got one coming up this week. Uh, Wanda just had one the other day. My wife had one. And, hmm? I know. Okay. All right. Well, fantastic. So a lot of us have had birthdays recently. And uh, and, and for me, uh, what we did on Friday night, Joy made my favorite cookies, oatmeal pecan cookies. They're just, you know, for me, it's like crack cocaine. It's like once I get started, I can't stop. You know, I love that stuff. I do. I do. And uh, And then also, it was great because... Uh, my girls are really good at creating uh, really fun uh, birthday cards that make me laugh really, really hard. And my wife is really good at finding cards that make me laugh. Uh, and then Matt and the Skinner family, they're really good too. So I was like, uh, so I was opening cards. We were laughing. It was fun. Uh, and then yesterday, it was just kind of fun. We, we uh, got up early. Uh, Faith had a cross-country uh, meet that she had to be at, so we spent the day over in Vacaville and just some other stuff. And then last night, my wife made me fried chicken. Yeah, man, it was fantastic. And when I go home after church today, I'm going to eat a lot more. So, um, so I'm 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 enjoying it. I really am, uh, very very much. Uh, what I'd like to do this morning, we've been talking about the Book of Philippians, and in, in the book. Um, Basically, what the book of Philippians is, if you're here for the first time or if you're here for the first time in a while and you're not really sure, you don't really know that much about the book of Philippians, Philippi was a city uh, in Macedonia, the northern part of Greece. It was the very, very first city that we know of where a church was started, a Christian church was started. Now, it's possible that there may have been a church that had been started by early believers who became uh, Christians in Acts chapter 2 who had returned to their hometowns and maybe started churches, but it's the first church that we know of that was started by the Apostle Paul. And uh, you read about it in Acts chapter 16. But Philippi was named after Philip of Macedon, who was the the father of a very famous person that you will probably know, Alexander the Great. And so it was named after him, and it was a very important city for a lot of different reasons. Uh, But it was a a city where... um, it was a, a Roman colony, and because it was a Roman colony, if you were a citizen of Philippi, then you were considered to be a citizen of Rome with all of the, uh, all the privileges that came with being a Roman citizen. What I want to do this morning is, is I'm going to uh, just read for you the text of Scripture that we're going to be looking at, and then I'm not exactly sure how I'm developing this message. Uh, I'm not really winging it. Entirely, but I am maybe just a little bit. But I'm going to ask for a little grace and mercy because yesterday was my birthday, okay? 
So the Bible says, if you'll open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And this is what the Bible says. And I'm reading from the New American Standard. We have it up here on the screen if you need that. And uh, just the New American Standard is like my favorite translation. I mean, I when I study the Scriptures, I will routinely read. You know, I don't. I mean, I read a lot. I, I read a lot of different translations, and a lot of times I'll go through and I'll consult a Greek translation um, and, and stuff. But, but uh, in, in Philippians chapter uh, 4, verses 1 through 9, Paul writes, and remember that, that the message of the book of Philippians is this, in case you don't know, 16 different times in about 104 verses, 16 different times, Paul talks about joy and he talks about rejoicing. And nine different times, he talks about the gospel. And what we've been saying is that the message of Philippians is that there is joy in the gospel. Now, that word gospel is a word we use a lot. We talk about gospel music and stuff like that. But but when the Bible talks about the gospel, the word gospel literally means good story. Good story or good news. And in the good news and the good story of the Bible is this, is that remember that huge God we were talking about who created the sun, moon, and stars and all that kind of stuff? Well, that God, you know, he made all things good, but then sin entered God's good creation. Uh, the sin entered God's good creation, and, and so a lot of that goodness, we kind of don't always see it. We kind of miss it. Because with sin came suffering and death and everything evil and wicked, all the things that just kind of, you know, that, that, that make, can make life very, very painful at times. But what, what the Bible tells us, and the good news is, is this, is that, that you know, the, the bad news is, is that sin entered God's good creation, and that we're all sinners by nature and by choice. But God loves you, and God loves me, and he loved us so much. He did something that some people might consider to be crazy and reckless, that the crazy love of God, the reckless love of God, that what God did was that he sent his one and only son to suffer and die for you and me. So that through faith in him, we can be saved. Not faith plus good works, just faith. There's no good work I'll ever do that can ever add to what Jesus has done for me. And there is nothing I can ever do that can take away from what Christ has done for me and done for you. And so what we've been saying is that there is joy in the gospel. And when you understand the gospel, and when you experience the truth of the gospel in your life, it is good news. It is great news. And it is, it is uh, that there's joy in it. And so what the Bible says this is that, that Paul, you know, Paul's been talking to these people, and he's been talking to them about what it looks like to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, and he's been talking to them about living their lives in a manner, uh, in, in a manner worthy of the gospel by, by being good citizens of heaven. And what he says in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 1, is he says this. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see. Remember, at this time, Paul is in Rome, and he's in prison. And he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown... In this way, stand firm in the Lord. Now, circle those words, stand firm, okay? Unless you're reading your Bible on your phone, all right? Uh, but circle those words, stand firm, and, and, and underline that phrase, in this way. Because we're going to talk about 
what that means. What does it mean to stand firm? And in what kind of way is it that Paul was instructing them to stand firm? He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, Odia and Seneca, to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Stand firm. Stand firm. In this way, stand firm in the Lord. You know, sometimes, sometimes, people get off to a really good start of following Jesus. Sometimes people are going through maybe a crisis in life. They come to a place of brokenness and emptiness where they begin to cry out to God. And, and they begin to, to realize that only Christ can fill the emptiness in their souls. And they understand that the hope that they long for can only be found in this person, Jesus. And they begin to, to understand something about God's great love for them. And in those first days of beginning to follow Jesus, life feels, man, it is exciting. It feels like all things are new. You know why? Because all things are new. Yeah. And they get off to a fantastic start. And, and they get plugged into a good church. And, and, and they're involved on a weekly basis. And they are worshiping God. And they begin opening their Bible on a daily basis. And they begin reading the Scriptures. And reading, uh, uh, in, reading through and, and reading about, about what God has to say to them about their lives. And they begin to spend time daily, and they're praying, and they're reading the Scriptures, and, and they're, they're meeting with other believers, and they're worshiping God. But then a, a, little, a little hiccup, a little something kind of intrudes in their life, and, and, and something goes a little bit south. Maybe it's a strained relationship. Maybe it's a strained relationship with someone at church. Maybe it's a strained relationship with someone in your home. And then life starts to get really, really busy. Back to school. You know, and the kids are in fall sports. And, you know, there's this activity and this activity and this activity and this activity. And all of a sudden, start feeling a little weary, a little bit tired. And um, with that weariness and with that, that fatigue that sets in with, sometimes overcommitment and too much busy, there begins to feel something like a disconnection with God. Kind of, it almost feels like God left you. And, and suddenly 
where you, you were off to this great start, suddenly things aren't going as well as they were. Sometimes, sometimes people get discouraged by circumstances or they get distracted by worldly matters. What you need to understand is this, is that God wants you to be steadfast. He wants you to stand firm. He wants you to be steadfast. He wants you to stand firm. He doesn't want you to give up. He wants you to stand firm. Psychologist, researcher, and author Angela Duckworth says that that what makes successful people, and that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about being successful people. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. But she says something about successful people that I think might have a connection with what we're talking about here. Angela Duckworth, she says that, that what makes successful people successful isn't necessarily talent. The most successful people aren't always the most talented. It, it isn't that it's not necessarily intelligent. It's not necessarily uh, being really, really gifted. She says that what makes successful people successful is something that she calls grit. Grit. The difference between a lot of people who are successful and a lot of people who aren't has nothing to do, has nothing to do with how smart they are, has everything to do with how hard they work. Duckworth defines grit as the ability to persevere in pursuing a future goal over a long period of time uh, and not giving up. it's, It's having stamina. It's sticking with your future day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years and working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow, if you want to see God work in your life, then you have to make up your mind how important is is it for you. I mean, it doesn't just happen because you show up at church on a Sunday morning. It doesn't happen just because you open your Bible. It requires a certain amount of what I'm going to call spiritual grit. Is that it is that refusal to give up. It is that, okay, if I'm weary, maybe it's not church. It's maybe I don't need a break from church. By the way, anytime I hear someone say that, they're so busy they need a break from church, then I say, you know what? You're taking a break from the wrong thing. Since when did you need a break from worshiping God in community? When did anybody ever need a break from worshiping God in community? When? Where do you see that anywhere in the Bible? I'm going to say if you're too busy, your life is too busy and you need a break from church, I'm going to say you need a break from worshiping God in, 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 in community because that's what church is. Church is not a, it's not a building. Church is not a service time. Church is who we are when we are worshiping God together. If you tell me that what we need is we need something we, we need to have the courage and the grit and the wisdom to say no to every other activity that's competing with following Jesus. And we need to be absolutely ruthless about it. 
We need to be vicious about it. Is that we're not going to let anything, anything, anything in the way of worldly activity to distract us from following Jesus and pursuing Him. We need a little bit of what I'm going to call spiritual grit. We need to do what Paul says is we need to, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes and he says this. He says, not that I've already obtained this. He's talking about, in the chapter just before this, he's talking about spiritual maturity. He's talking about being spiritually mature, okay? Spiritually healthy, spiritually whole. And what Paul says, he says, not that I've already obtained this, spiritual maturity, wholeness, healthiness, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. There's a commitment in these words from Paul. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Spiritual grit. Pursuing to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. It's in this context that Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. For the Christian, we are to stand firm in the Lord. Our grit, our steadfastness, our mental toughness. By the way, I want to make sure this is really, really, really clear. Because if you look at verse 1 here, it says, In this way stand firm, how? In the Lord. If you miss that, if you miss those three words, you've missed everything. See, the difference between what some people call grit, and I'm not going to try to interact a lot with Angela Duckworth on this. I don't want to criticize anything that she says. But sometimes what people think of as grit and steadfastness and perseverance, they're looking for something from within. You know, it's me. My focus, it's on me. I'm going to get this done. No. It's to be steadfast, stand firm, what? In the Lord. See, the only way that we can stand firm is in the Lord. It's not in me and my ability and my strength and my determination. If it's about me, then I'm making an idol out of myself. It's stand firm in the Lord. Paul says, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. What does that, what does he mean by stand firm in this way? Uh, Number one, God wants to stand firm. In the Lord, how? By pursuing unity in the Lord. Okay, so in verse 1, he says, In this way, stand firm in the Lord. And now he's going to tell us how he wants to stand firm in the, in, in the Lord. And what God wants is he wants us to stand firm by pursuing unity in the Lord. Now, now okay, I, I just made a switch in thoughts here, and you may or may not follow me on this. You may or may not follow me on this. So I'm going to ask for a little bit. I need a little bit of help on this one. Okay? And what I need is I need, I need a woman who is really, really courageous over here. And I need a woman who's really, really courageous over here. You're not going to be easily embarrassed. Is there a courageous woman? Okay, Noreen's going to be, she's going to be the courageous one over here. Can I have a courageous woman over here? Any woman, please. Okay, Carolyn will be. All right? Carolyn will be. All right, so, so let's pretend for a moment. And just stand where you are. 
just just stand where you are. You're not going to? Okay. And, and, and this is what I want you, I want you with me for a moment to use your imagination. I want you to pretend like we are in Philippi 2,000 years ago. I want you to pretend like that no one has ever read the book of Philippians ever before. It has never been read. It has never been read. And I want you to pretend for a moment that my name is Clement, and I am the pastor of the church in Philippi. We don't know who the pastor was, but let's just pretend like his name is Clement, okay? And I want us to pretend for a moment that, uh, that Carmine is really good friends with the Apostle Paul. They're buddies. They're, they're gospel buddies. In fact, when, when, Paul talks about, when Paul talks about Carmine, he's like, he calls him my true buddy. My true companion. My true buddy. He's my gospel buddy. Is it okay if I use you? Okay, all right, all right. All right, so I want you to pretend like this book, the book of Philippians, has never been read before. I am Clement. I am the pastor of the church. You are members of the church in Philippi, and you are hearing these words for the very first time from a man who has this incredible love and affection for you. In fact, he has so much love and affection for you that he says things like, like um, he, he, says, he says, you are my beloved brethren who I long to see, my joy, my crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord. And I want you to pretend like I have been reading to you Philippians chapter 1. About five minutes, and you've been sitting patiently, listening to every word, hanging on every word, and thinking, I can't wait till he reads it a second time because there were a couple things I'm not sure I quite got, got there. And then you've been sitting patiently, and I've read through chapter 2 about another five minutes. And, now, and I read through Philippians chapter 3, and you're sitting and you're listening to a letter the same way people read letters today. Do you read part of a letter today and another part tomorrow and another part the next day? No. When you read a letter, how do you read it? You read it from, yeah, beginning to end. And so that's what I'm doing is I'm reading this letter from the Apostle Paul to all of us, and suddenly I get to verse 2, and I'm Clement, and all of a sudden I feel really, really small. Because what it says, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord my beloved, I urge, and all of a sudden I pause. I urge you, Odia. You know, she and Seneca haven't been getting along too well lately. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Seneca. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Let's pretend like next week I read to you a really long letter from someone, and we call you out by name. Are you comfortable with that in church? I mean, think about this. All of a sudden, you have two people being called out by name in front of the entire church. How would you feel about that? How would you feel about a church that does that? Be very careful what you say. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. And I, I've got a feeling that Paul got things right. Okay? A lot more than he got things wrong. And what he does is he calls two people out by name in front of the entire congregation. But I want you to understand and I want you to see the words very carefully. Ladies, I'll sit down now. Because he does not call them out to humiliate them or to shame them. But he does call them out. And what he says to them is he says this. He says, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Seneca to live 
and harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, true companion, indeed, true companion, uh, I, I, uh, I asked you to help these women who shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together also with Clement, um, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Who are Euodia and Seneca, and um, why does Paul call them out in front of the whole church? Now, I, I want you to think about this for a moment with me, okay? I believe that Euodia and, and Seneca were two leaders in the church in Philippi. I mean, the, the church was rich in, in both male and female leadership. And I believe both of these women were very important leaders in the church of Philippi. In fact, they used to have an annual outreach called Week of Hope. And they were both on that team, okay? You know, I don't know how they worked together, but this is what I do know. Somehow they had a strained relationship. And because they were leaders and because it wasn't getting resolved in a really healthy way, I think there may have been a Euodia group. You're the Euodia group. And I think there may have been a Seneca group, okay? And so I think when you are are dealing with matters of conflict in the church. By the way, if you think a church shouldn't have conflict, you need to read your New Testament because every church had conflict. That's why we have a New Testament, okay? But in, um, in, in the church that, that where things are private between two individuals, for the most part, I think we deal with it privately. But sometimes things begin to get bigger than two people. And it begins to create a ripple effect throughout the church or through large portions of the church. And when that happens, what you have to do to be healthy is you have to address it with the people involved. You understand what I'm saying? What that means is that healthy churches have to be committed to dealing with conflict in a healthy way And they have to deal with it with all the people involved. And what we've got to do, what we've got to do is we've got to be able to set aside our differences to focus on the more important things. So what I'm saying is for Euodia, Noreen, and Seneca, Carolyn, is that that what unites you in Jesus is more important than anything that's going to separate you two. It's more important than your political differences. It's more important than your educational differences. It's more important than your generational differences. It's more important that one of you, your favorite translation of the Bible is the NIV, the other one is the ESV, and someone else, it's the New American Standard, the best. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and it's more important than this is the, the style of worship I'm more comfortable with. And, oh, it's, I'm, it, this is the worship style I'm more... That, that whenever we let the things that are unimportant to divide us over the most important, then we can no longer follow Jesus and live his mission together. The world needs us to figure out how to work on our unity together. That God wants us to stand firm, and he wants us to stand firm by pursuing unity in the Lord. There's a guy, um, 
his name's Tony Medina. He wrote a uh, uh, he wrote a, a commentary with Francis Chan, one of the commentaries I've been using as I've been developing this series. And Medina pastors a church uh, over on the East Coast called Imago Dei. And, and Medina says this. He says, if you're going to have a real relationship with others, if you're going to have a real relationship with others, you will have conflicts. Is that true? Yeah, I think so. You're going to have conflicts. So plan on having these Euodia Seneca conversations for what? The good of the church and for the glory of Christ. You see, some people, I want it my way. And, 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 and they're willing to sacrifice the church on it. Did you know that? Some people are more concerned about having it their way than they are with the good of the church. They're more focused on me, myself, and I and everything that belongs to me than they are the glory of Christ. Does that happen? All the time. And folks, what I'm telling you is that what we are committed to is we are committed to working through conflict in a way that's healthy and holy uh, and that's good for everybody, the entire church. Okay? That's what we're going to do. That's what we do here. And we are going to pursue unity together. Number two, that, that Paul's talking to them. He's telling them to stand firm, but he says, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. How? First of all, God wants to stand firm by pursuing unity in the Lord. Number two, God wants to, to, to stand firm together by rejoicing in the Lord always. Where do I see that in the text? Verse 4. Verse 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say Rejoice. And I want you to look at this, and I want you to think about this. Is, 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 how does he want us to rejoice? Always. But more importantly, how does he want us to rejoice? In the Lord. See, what I'm going to tell you is this, is that you may be absolutely, right now, my mom is going through some stuff where she is in great physical pain. Okay? So, it's kind of hard. For me, I just, I, you know, I love this church I do. I love what we do here. But one of the things that grieves my heart is living 2,000 miles away from my mom and not being able to be there for her when she's, when things are hard. I have, you know, huge appreciation for my sister and what my sister has done for my mom. I have huge appreciation for her church family and what they've done for her. But it's hard for me sometimes. And... When you're in great physical pain, you know, the other day I called her up and I asked her, I said, Mom, how are you doing today? And she said, well, she said, I woke up and I, I felt pretty good. I would say my pain, you know, I was about a zero. You know, I woke up, I felt really, really good. She said, but from my bedroom to the kitchen, I went from a zero to a seven. My mom is one of the toughest people, physically toughest people I know. She is. Um, and this kind of grieved my heart. But you know, what I see in my mom is this. I see in her uh, that she rejoices. She rejoices. And, 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 and the thing is, is that this is what I, I want you to understand, is that if you have nothing but the Lord, you have everything you need to rejoice every minute of every day for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter if you're living under a piece of cardboard without a house, it doesn't matter if you're homeless. It doesn't matter 
if you are in great physical pain. It doesn't matter if you don't have a job. If you, if I, if we have the Lord, then we have everything we need to rejoice every moment of every day for the rest of our lives. We have great reason to rejoice. Now, now, why does Paul tell the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always? And then why does he immediately say, again, I'll say rejoice? And I think maybe it might be this, is that the Philippians are a little bit like me. Is that sometimes it's easier to complain about my pain or my discomfort than it is to rejoice in the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? That sometimes it's easier for me to complain about my disappointment, you know, about something, than I am to really rejoice in the Lord. Some people, they say, well, I can't rejoice in the Lord if I don't feel happy. And what I'm going to tell you is is that, that rejoicing is not a feeling. You never wait to feel like rejoicing to rejoice. You rejoice until you feel like rejoicing. See, rejoicing is not a feeling. Rejoicing is an attitude. And when you learn rejoicing as an attitude, it's a game changer. You know, a while back I saw I got this email blast from Henry Cloud. I get stuff from him every once in a while. And he's one of my favorite authors. He's just a really, really, he's a good writer. He's a good writer, good speaker, pretty good guy, really good guy. And I, I was reading this email from him the other day, and he said that, that life is about 10% what, what happens to you, about 10% what happens to you. And it's 90% the attitude you choose and what happens. Okay? Is that, that we need to rejoice how? In the Lord, how? Always. Again, I'll say rejoice. The God wants us to stand firm in the Lord. And, 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 and Paul writes, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. And, and he tells us that he wants us to stand firm by pursuing unity in the Lord. And he tells us that he wants us to stand firm together, rejoicing in the Lord always. And third, God wants, wants us to stand firm by praying with grateful hearts while fixing our minds on what is true and good. Really? Is that in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that, that God wants us to stand firm by praying with grateful hearts. In, in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says this. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, see, there's the grateful part, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. By the way, Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Is it ever okay to be anxious? Yes. Does someone say yes? Good. Good. Because Paul uses the exact same word here, anxious, to speak of his concern for the churches. Okay? That he had a a concern for them. Okay, so what kind, so there's, you know, this word can be used a couple different ways, and the context determines whether it's good care and concern, or if it's burdensome, unhealthy care and concern. Okay, So what does unhealthy, burdensome care and concern look like? I think it might look something like this. I think it looks a little bit like imagining the worst possible outcome in a meeting we're going to have later today, going back to work tomorrow, 
something that's coming up this week or later this month or maybe it's uh, a few months down the road or maybe it's a few years down the road. But we begin to imagine the worst possible outcome and then we begin to live as though that is true. You follow me there? That it, it's, it's living in the moment like some kind of future, the worst possible outcome in the future is going to actually happen. And we live as though that's true. And we put our faith in our misery. That's what worry is. That's what worry is. Fortunately, I never worry. Okay, so it's Tuesday night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I wake up. I guess Tuesday morning, so it would be Monday night, Tuesday morning, whatever. I don't know what day it was. It was one of those days. I wake up, I wake up, and I am feeling anxious concern. Not about one thing. Not about two things or three things, but several things. I'm laying in my bed, and these things keep going through my mind, parading through my mind again, 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 again. Now, some of y'all, y'all never have this issue, and you're like, Gary, you're really screwed up. How, you know, I don't. How did you ever become a pastor? All right. So I'm laying there, and I'm thinking about these things for about a half hour, and then I got up, and I opened my Bible, and I began to read, and this is what I read. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Those were the words I read. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And I continue to read. And why do you worry? Why do you worry? About clothes. See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon. Solomon was pretty rich. had pretty nice clothes. Not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow stone into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And I read these words. So do not worry. Do you think Jesus was saying something to me on Tuesday morning? I'm not real sure, but I think it may be do not worry. I think that's what he was telling me. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry. Hey, I think I'm getting it now. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I read those words, and then I turned around and I read them again, and I read them again, and I read them again. I don't know how many times I read it, but I read it a few times. And I prayed, and I fell asleep on my couch where my, my wife found me the next morning. 
you know that um, sometimes we need something to preoccupy our minds with, to help us let go of our worries. And I'm going to say one of the best things to occupy your mind with when you're feeling worried are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. God wants us to stand firm by praying with grateful hearts while fixing our minds not on what might happen next week or later today or next year, but while fixing our minds fixing our minds on what is true and good. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You remember I was telling you about Tony Medina a while ago? Now, Francis Chan and Tony Medina and their... their um, uh, their commentary, they said this. They said that what we think matters. Okay? Did you get that? What we think matters, and it matters more than we think. Did you get that part? That what we think matters, and it matters more than we think. We need God's Word to saturate our minds that we may be renewed and kept from offensive ways. Um. Sometimes people get off to a good start in their walk with Jesus. But later, they slowly find their passion for God beginning to dim. Sometimes people get discouraged by circumstances or distracted by worldly matters. God wants us to be steadfast. He wants us to persevere. He wants us to endure. He wants us to hold fast in Christ. He wants us to have spiritual grit. And he wants us to stand firm in the Lord by pursuing unity, rejoicing always, and by praying with grateful hearts while fixing our minds on what is true and good. Let's pray. God, today we want to praise and worship you because you are a good God. Lord, we want to let go of all the things that we tend to worry about. And we want to focus, we want to focus on what is true and what is good. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to, to, um, to pursue the kind of unity that brings honor and glory to your name. To wisely and humbly set aside our differences. To focus on what's most important. To focus on following you together and living your mission together. And, uh, and Lord, help us to, in this way, uh, stand firm in the Lord. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.